Support for the Good Guys Talk Back podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Guys, we all know it's important to keep ourselves nice, neat, and groomed. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels to make that happen. And ladies, come on. If you want your man to be looking good from top to bottom, Manscaped is where you need to go. Manscaped obsesses over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide, and we have an exclusive offer for our fans. 20% off plus free shipping with the code GGTB at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code GGTB. TB. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Sox fans, welcome to Good Guys Talk Back, a fan-centric Chicago White Sox podcast for the love of the Sox. Hosted by Nick Borowski and Pat Hester. Hey Sox fans, welcome to Good Guys Talk Back, episode 88. Uh, Nick Morawski here, Pat Hester with me as well. You can find this podcast anywhere you find your podcast, especially on the ShyCitySports.com site. We are a fan-centric Chicago White Sox podcast, very local, uh, recording just a few blocks from the stadium in beautiful Bridgeport. Uh, Pat, uh, such an exciting uh, show today as we start previewing the 2021 season and a couple other things we got to get to that were uh, pretty big this week. Yeah, Nick, uh, you earned your paycheck this week. We got uh, great <laughs> guests lined up for today. Uh, you're marketing the show like none other. We've got mm. t-shirts now because of you. Yeah, yeah. And you were voted top five mustache on Sox Twitter. Sure, so right. Thank you to Beer Garden right. Jim for, for a <laughs> yeah. shout out there. Good job. Yeah, uh, my wife is very proud. Um, so let's just uh, get right to it. Uh, from MLB.com, covering the Sox for a long, long time, Scott Merkin, thank you so much for joining us. Sure. Anytime, guys. Glad to be here. Um, uh, Fellow South Southwest suburbs uh, crew to talk white sex. Absolutely. Uh, We uh, we're it's just a joy to have you on. Um, So much to get to that has happened recently. Um, I think the big question that Sox fans have just been uh, talking. I mean, how can you avoid this is the Aloy Jimenez situation. And now what has become of it with uh, Vaughn uh, is Larusa has said is should be starting there in Anaheim. Um, uh, is the narrative of you know Aloy can't play left field? Is that a bad narrative uh, moving forward? Well, I think first of all we should clarify on the Larusa part. He said if Vaughn is the best guy he sees over the next few days, and we're taking right. this on, sure. on on Saturday, so yeah, you know he would be the guy. So there's some leeway there sure. to come back and say. You know, Andrew Vaughn's great, but we're going to start him at DH or we're going to start him mm-hmm. at the all. You know, there's, but yeah. I, I do think, he, you know, he can handle it. Back, back to Aloy, you know, I think the problem with Aloy is he's these mistakes that happen, or not mistakes, these injuries on maybe somewhat misplays are, are glaring, glaring because he's a big man. You know, he's mm-hmm. 6'4, mm-hmm. 140 pounds. And the interesting thing is, I think I really do believe, and not just me, but guys who work with him, like Daryl Boston, who works with him extensively, he has gotten better defensively. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I, Daryl Boston said it, it was, you know, 
pretty tough when he first saw him. Not pretty tough, but he said he thought this was going to be a DH when he first saw him. Yeah. And he said this changed over time. The problem is, you know, he's now had, I think, four since he started in left field. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, uh, plays happen that he gets injured on. You know, this one, he had the one where he co- collided with uh, Charlie Tilson. Mm-hmm. He had, I believe it was a Grayson Griner home run he was chasing against Detroit where he hit the wall. And then the Jake Cave play last year in the first uh, first series of the year in the abbreviated season where he was going for the ball. And I think he was he yeah, was in concussion protocol for a couple of days. So, you know, maybe he's really just trying to do too much. Maybe he's, you know, and that, I think Paul Sullivan of the Tribune asked that of Rick Hahn during a recent, uh, during a um, Zoom call a couple of days ago about maybe he's trying to answer the crit. You know, it's kind of like a guy who's in a slump trying to get five hits and one at bat. And yeah. he said, yeah. Maybe he's just trying to show everyone because he does not want to DH. No one really mm. does. It's like, you know, and I go back to like, <clears throat> was it 2011, 2012, 13, talking to Adam Dunn. Great guy, you know, understands hitting. And he even said to the last day he was with the Sox that it, it was a hard spot to figure out. You know, it's a really tough position because, you know, if you're um, Tim Tim Anderson, you know, you you go 0 for 4 to play, but you can make a difference at shortstop. If mm-hmm. you're DH, over for the plate and you're over for the plate, you know, unless yeah. you, you know, feel a base or score on a ground ball with the infield and there's not much you can do, but hit. So he doesn't want to do that. So maybe Aloy's going too much trying to show everything, but I think, you know, Rick, Rick Hahn had the right attitude in that. And everyone's had the right attitude. Liam Hendricks talked about this at Collins talked about this. Let's just, you know, they're just saying, let's just worry about Aloy getting healthy. We're mm-hmm. concerned about individual. And when it gets to a point down the line, when the rehab starts going, They'll talk to him then more about what he can and can't do in left field. But, yeah, I don't think the narrative is he can't play there. I think it's just, you know, he had the unfortunate incident last year where he was chasing that fly ball against Milwaukee at, from Kristen Yelts at Lands Fair, and his momentum carries into the net. And, again, this is a big guy trying to get out of the net, and Yelts is getting inside the park homer. So it seems mm-hmm. like whatever happens miscue-wise or near-miss, you know, it's clear. It's clear. It's it's um, re, re, it's it's enhanced because of true. You know, is. Now, the final thing on that, you know, I I would argue you you can't tell a player not to follow your instincts. I would argue in spring training you probably don't need to jump over the wall to try <laughs> back unless yeah. you have like a perfect shot at it. But hey, I've seen other really good outfielders run into the wall, you know, chasing a ball and injure themselves, and it's not just you know Jermaine Deloy. So I, mm-hmm. I think. The key thing here is get the surgery done for him, get him healthy, get him ready to come back as soon as you can, and then go with what you got and tell them. Yeah. Hey, hey Scott. So options wise, you know, are we in your in your opinion? Do you think we're uh, the Sox are more likely to go outside of the organization to fill that spot, or do you think it's within the organization what they have already? I, th- I think they're looking right now. You know, I know they had someone at the Jonas Suspetis workout, but the thing is. You know, he hasn't signed, and that was a couple of weeks ago, right? So, yeah. you know, you wonder a little bit about that or, you know, what he's looking for, what's going on there. Um, yeah, I don't think they're just going to go out of the organization to go out of the organization. I think they, you know, I think they believe Vaughn can handle that spot. And I think Vaughn has the right attitude. I don't think Vaughn's going to stand there, and, you know. And I think people take comments too literally sometimes. I think what he's basically saying when he talks about, you know, anything towards the left field line, he's going for anything Robert can handle. Yeah. A, Robert does anyways, right? But <laughs> the thing is, he's not trying to be Ichiro, although Ichiro played right. You know, he's just trying to make the plays, get good reads, 
get good jumps, throw to the right base. And that's great for a guy who hasn't played left field except for a, an under 15 tournament where his team won the gold medal. Um, you know, what's what's there to ask for more than that? But, you know, don't forget you have Leary Garcia, who, you know, Ken has contributed very good arm to one of the better arms, I think, in the league. So he can easily play left field. You know, they like what Nick Williams has done in camp. So I, I think they start with what they have, whether that's Vaughn or Leary Garcia in left field. And then Adam Engel is coming back in two weeks. And Adam Engel, before I start hearing about he only should face left-handers, he can't hit left-handers, this is a different angle than it was two years mm-hmm. ago. Yeah. Arguments with numbers is, you know, you got to kind of adjust them as the player develops or the player changes. So, you know, I think he could play somewhat regularly out there too. And as I said, if things go well with the hamstring injury, he'll only be gone, you know, a week or two in the season. So I think they see what they have. And then, you know, they're not going to wait till the trade deadline. If it comes to the end of April and they're like, man, you know, Lloyd's not back until September at the earliest, we need help here. They'll go and look for help. You know, they'll go and do something. But I don't think Rick Hunt is going to rush out and try to get someone unless it's a perfect fit or not yeah. perfect, very good fit. How about that? Sure. Yeah. I uh, want to switch gears just to pitching. And uh, you wrote a, a piece uh, earlier this week on Carlos Rodon and on MLB.com. And uh, for Sox fans that have been following Rodon, I feel like it's like maybe Rodon 4.0 or, or 3.0, however you want to look at it. And, you know, he hasn't thrown, you know, over 165 innings before, but his spring training has been outstanding. He just threw yesterday. What... He wants, you know, he is claiming, you know, I am durable, almost like as a, you know, I'm going to stand by this. You can trust me. Uh, I think I speak for a lot of Sox fans with the can we trust you? Like, what can you really provide for us uh, in in that in that anointed fifth uh, fifth starter spot? Right. Uh, You know, I think um, he has been good before. He has had very good stretches for the Sox. He hasn't put good stretches through all season, you know, where he's very, really been dominant, but been very good. And then he's had, you know, the last three years, basically, where he, you know, I think he had one year he threw 120 innings, but, you know, the other three was hampered, were hampered by various injuries. So he's in very good condition. You could see that from the first day. And the Sox talked about that from the first day. You know, he's kind of through that core velocity belt they all use, you know, under Ethan Katz, uh, Lucas Giolito, Dylan Cease. He's kind of fixed some mechanics issues with his lower half. He said those fixes should help him stay healthy and help him stay, I guess, successful throughout the year. And I think that's great. I think he's in a great mindset. I think he's, you know, he's a different guy too. He's a married father of two now. It's a different situation for him. But again, I'm not going to say because Carlos Rodon was really just utterly dominant in spring training that he's Mm -hmm. now, you know, 20 games of the 1.9 ERA this year. You know, and I think he knows that. I, th- I think what he's been saying so far is it's a good start. He feels good, but now it's got to translate to the regular season when it matters. It's kind of like people getting upset when the Sox were 1-8-3 and three to start Cactus League play, and now they're like 9-3, you know, 14. Neither of them really matter. You know, maybe yeah. the part matters a little more because you're playing nine-inning games and the starters are playing a little longer now. But, you know, again, no one ever got to the Hall of Fame because they were really good in Cactus League mm-hmm. or Grapefruit League. So, mm-hmm. kind of sum it up. There's not a lot of pressure on him. He's basically the fourth or fifth starter for this team behind three really, you know, kind of solid, stable, excellent starters in Giolito, Keiko, and Lynn. And he's feeling good and looking good in spring training. So I think he can just take, you know, a good, you know, focused but somewhat relaxed attitude into, you know, the season and see what happens. Yeah. 
Scott, speaking of uh, things that have happened good in the spring, talk Zach Collins. And uh, he was very bullish yeah. on Chuck's podcast, the White Sox Talk podcast, about you know where he felt he didn't get as much of an opportunity in previous years, maybe even less of an opportunity of other young guys that have come up through this organization. And he's done you know quite well in, in spring training. And in spring training, he went deep again yesterday to the opposite field. You know what? With the with the Eloy injury and Vaughn going to left, does this open up Collins? as making this team for sure as a DH. Yeah, Collins was, he was very interesting when I talked to him a couple of weeks ago where he said he 100% should be on the opening day roster and went as far to say if he wasn't, it was a mistake and then said he doesn't know how he would handle it. You know, he hadn't thought about that if, you know, he wasn't added to the opening day roster. Now, he was a little more reserved when we talked to him after the game yesterday. But, I, you know, he's good for him, you know. I mean, everyone should have that much confidence in their work, right, that mm-hmm. if you're me – if you don't use me right, then it's your mistake. I've put myself in this position to be, you know, excellent contributor. And if you don't value that, that's on you. And I, I, and, and he's gone out and backed it up. You know, he's done a great, he's, he's improved behind the plate. He's improved throwing. As he said, he's done everything they've asked him. He's changed his body type. He's in much, you know, better conditions that you can see he's trimmer overall, you know, he's kind of taken the Yon Moncada approach. If you remember young Moncada in 18, right? 18. I think they all run together at this point. Um, <laughs> He struck out 217 times, right? And we heard so many times, you know, it got a little got a little much at times where Sox fans are like, oh, the umpires are out to get him. No, they are not to get him. He just was, his batting eye was hurting him. He was working the count too deep every time and oftentimes losing borderline calls, you know, on 3-2 or 2-2 or something like that. So he made a point, and to his credit, man, he worked hard in the offseason. Mm-hmm. He went and found, you know, uh, Ricky Renteria and Todd Steverson, the hitting coach, the manager and hitting coach at that point, in Arizona for a couple of weeks and they worked on everything and he was an MVP caliber player in 19. And one of the keys offensively is he was more aggressive within the strike zone. He wasn't waiting four or five, six pitches in. If the best pitch was the second one or the first one, then Yohan Moncada was swinging at it and doing damage with it. And that's kind of what Collins has done. You know, yeah. and that's why seen him strike out. Uh, I think it's been three times this whole spring, very much different. He's not changing his batting eye. He's still got an exceptional batting eye like Moncada. He's just more aggressive and going after his pitch. And you're seeing the difference. So it'll be interesting if the configuration does end up with Vaughn and left and, you know, Garcia maybe there sometime too and Collins more than the DH. It'll be interesting to see what Zach Collins can contribute if he's getting, you know, regular to semi-regular at bats as opposed to like an, a pinch at a bat here, four at bats here, and then not play for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott, we're going to uh, uh, get you out on on this. And this is, uh, I guess, <laughs> this is a multi-layered or complex question, or maybe it's not. Um, I think Sox fans, and I, I put myself in the in the center for this, is you focus on guys like Abreu and Mankata and, and Kopech and who are we maybe who are we sleeping on as Sox fans that we should be maybe paying attention more for this upcoming 21 uh, season as contributors? Well, I mean, I think Collins is a guy. Vaughn is a guy. You know, both those guys are younger and less experienced. But I think if you go if you're going too deep into sleepers for the White Sox, then there's probably an issue at the major league level, you know, mm-hmm. because this is, <laughs> this is not a team built for sleepers this mm-hmm. year. really. This is built, you know, when they hired Tony La Russa, that kind of indicated the incremental jump was done, right? I mean, like, you know, they made the playoffs last year. It was great. They were, you know, one win away, literally one win away from being the number two seed in the postseason, which I think would have made a difference. <clears throat> if they had a guy who was a little more experienced as a third starter, that probably made a difference. But, I mean, think, 
think about it. <clears throat> Excuse me. You have Abreu, Anderson, Moncada, Grandal. Uh, you know, Jimenez out now, so you can't count there. Roberts, Eaton, and then you have, <clears throat> excuse me, Giolito, mm-hmm. Peichel, Lynn, and then you have guys like Hendricks, Bummer, Marshall. So, I mean, really, where is the sleeper? I, I'll, I'll a couple. Garrett Crochet, you know, who I think is going to be a great asset in the back end of that bullpen. And Cody Hoyer is another one, you know. Cody Hoyer kind of showed what he could do the other day. He gives up a leadoff triple to Nico Horner, who will be starting at red at the alternate training site now for the Cubs. That's an interesting story to itself. And then he struck out the next three guys. Now the next three guys were not Bryant, Ross, and Baez, but I'm sorry, not Ross. Ross doesn't play anymore. <laughs> Brian, you know, it was not Bryant, Rizzo, and Baez, but it's still, he strikes out the side with the tying run at third base and nobody out. And it shows you a little bit, you know, Cody Hoyer is more of a, you know, up in the strike zone guy, but still throws 98. Yeah, you know, I think uh, Michael Kopech is the guy also. We haven't really talked much about him. Mm-hmm. He's back. He's going to be used as a reliever, but also to build towards starting. So I think if there's going to be some seven-inning doubleheaders in there, you probably see him start a game or two. You may see him become a starter as the year goes on. Who knows, you know? So, again, I, I don't think there's – I don't think I'm going to, you know, go to the, like, alternate site and say, keep an eye on Jonathan Stever, keep an eye on Jimmy Lambert, who both very good, you know, watch out for Mike or Adolfo. Because if they're all up there, it means there's something that's gone wrong with the main guys the Sox have put their money behind for the last, you know, two or three years. So not a sleeper team, but those are just a few guys you can look for besides the main guys on the roster. Uh, the excitement is extremely high. Expectations are high. Uh, we thank you so much, Scott, for joining uh, and talking a little uh, Sox updates and preview of 2021. I'm honored to hit lead off before uh, James <laughs> comes up and drives me in after this. Uh, hopefully we can uh, check in with you uh, throughout the season. Uh, follow uh, Scott on Twitter at Scott Merkin. Read his stuff on MLB.com. Always great content. Thank Thanks, Scott. guys. Appreciate you having me. Have a good one. Hey, support for the Good Guys Talk Back podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for their grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. We have an exclusive offer for our fans, 20% off plus free shipping with the code GGTB at manscaped.com. They hooked Pat and I up with a bunch of tools and formulations from their Perfect Package 3.0 kit, uh, trimmer with an LED light for more precise shaving. Uh, It's waterproof to make your shower uh, shave clean and easy. Wonderful products. And uh, get a 20% off and free shipping uh, with the code GGTB at manscaped.com, unlock your confidence and use the right tools. Uh, big thank you to Scott. Uh, find his stuff on MLB.com. Uh, um, we are going to uh, now switch to James Fegan of The Athletic, who is going to make us smarter and more educated and feel better about this team than we already do heading into 2021. Uh, James, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> those are those are three big asks, but uh, <laughs> I'll do my best. Um, James, uh, the big the big news this week is is Aloy, and we we talked to Scott just a little bit about you know the narrative that well 
Aloy can't play left field. Why was he even out there in left field? And, and perhaps that's just the wrong, wrong narrative. Um, what do you think, uh, this is tough. I mean, what do you think the future might hold? Uh, you know, we want him to get healthy, get back, recuperate, but what does the future potentially hold? And is Vaughn, uh, is Vaughn really the answer or could be the answer in 2021? Well, I think, yes, that's what they're going to do. <laughs> it's, actually, it's like the same way of Eloy playing left field. Like, is it like, is, does he profile in a way that traditionally you would say he can stick in left field left, the long term? No. Is he going to do it? Yes, that's their plan. <laughs> um, and so I think I was getting asked by friends like two days ago, because like, could they really push Lon out, Vaughn out there? I'd be like, yeah, I know that they've had him um, play in the outfield in Schaumburg. I know they've put a little bit of groundwork into it. Would you, if you asked me, like, if it was just like a random prospect for another team, like, can this guy stick in left field? Like, and the Atlantis would say, like, no, he's a 30 runner. It's not who you would pick to do this. Um, <laughs> there's both not experience and there's not the physical tools that suggest, like, hey, this should, guy should be like a pretty good outfielder. Um, like, if you took, I mean, uh, I don't remember what Diane Giacchino's like run grades were at the time, but it was probably like a little bit better um, than Vaughn's. And obviously you put Diane out there and you saw like, you know, the feel is not great. And maybe mm -hmm. Vaughn could be better at that, given that it's literally not really been tried very extensively. Like we asked him yesterday and uh, he said like, like another time he played the outfield in a real game that wasn't like a sim game or, um, you know, workouts. And he's like, Oh yeah, I played for a 15 and under team for team USA. <laughs> and he said very proudly, like we won the gold medal. So like, that's great. But it, yeah, that's, that's, uh, you know, Vaughn's 22. So that's, that's seven mm -hmm. years ago at least. Yeah. Um, so I, I wouldn't say like, it's, it's the answer, but like, it's what they're going to do. I, basically mm -hmm. they decided that he's, faster than zach collins um which <laughs> i think is true but like they're both they're both guys who are you know the catcher first base dh like speed spectrum so i think he's 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 not gonna have good range he, he, like the the main thing that everyone seems to be happy with is that he see, his approach seems very uh vested in the idea that he you know doesn't have good range and isn't going to try to make yeah. up for it yeah. um Eloy, i think I've always viewed him being there as a as a you know result of positional scarcity. Like the DH conversation or LA to first base conversation looks so much different if Blake Rutherford, Luis Gonzalez, Mike Rodolfo, Steel Walker never gets traded, stuff like that. If mm -hmm. that like you know we remember two three years ago um, where it was like how are they going to play all these prospect outfielders in Birmingham, <laughs> and you know none of them really you know Basabe was another one of them. And none of them really, uh, you know, came to pass. None of them have become guys where you would even necessarily project average offense, uh, you know, without seeing some more evidence that they've taken a step forward. So I think that's always what's created this need of, you know, we, we really need to make this stick with Eloy because if you just look at the distribution of talent, like as far as like MLB ready bats, you're talking about um, Collins, uh, Vaughn, Mercedes. Out of all that, yeah, Eloy is like the most suited defensively. He's like a, you know, obviously he's not like quick burst or all that, or and and he's made us like, you know, facepalm a few times with what he does in the outfield. But he's an average runner um, with a decent arm. Um, he he has the physical tools to play left field that the other really credible offensive options don't. And you know, consistently you kind of see the White Sox 
trying to cram as much offense as they can and stuff. You know, it, it, they tend to sacrifice defense uh, quicker than they'd sacrifice offense when they're profiling positions. That's why mm-hmm. there's the commitment to Zach Collins uh, to catch all throughout his, his um, uh, development, which to their credit has gotten way farther than everyone, any, any mm-hmm. people in the draft, like uh, said he could, this is a guy they said, thought would not be catching a year after he was drafted. Uh, like, other other rival scouts, you know, viewed Zach Collins as a catcher the way you know we think of Spencer Torkelson as a third baseman. Just like, okay, it's a nice thing he said, not going to happen. The fact <laughs> that he's still going and has caught major league games, you know, major league games that they won, uh, that's a big developmental win. So that's like just a credit to their stubbornness uh, to a degree. But um, I don't know where I'm going. But <laughs> I love it though. It's early, James. That's okay. We're, we're, we're good, James. If you don't mind, I, I'd like to shift gears a little bit. A lot. Please, of like, put me on track. <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to ask you this question. Uh, a lot of talks come out this past week and, and and prior weeks about how great this camp has been under Tony La Russa. Jose has had a lot to say about it. Tim Anderson, obviously, everything with intent and and with a with a, you know focus behind it in this camp with Tony La Russa. What have you seen, if anything, the differences between, and I know it's tough because it's been COVID, but like, yeah, I take your word for it. So, so <laughs> from, from what you see or what you hear, what is the differences between this camp run and maybe a Ricky Renteria or other managers run? I don't know. Like probably just like, uh, like the Rick Renteria camps weren't negative <laughs> or full mm-hmm. of like, Mm-hmm. fighting like uh you know the little roach scandal didn't happen under like rick renneria's managerial tenure uh though i suppose he was there yeah i i think it's more clarity of focus or you know having more veterans involved and you know you you, you kind of you didn't have that same structure outside of abreu and you know his little corner of you know having a lot of respect and you know um you know taking leadership with uh you know the latin players during like the 2017 2019 range um so it's it's a lot more guys who are very set on like this is what we're doing. Um, it's a lot more Grandals and and Keikels and Lins of, you know, guys who are both veterans and very high performers who can command a lot of respect. So I, I really think the difference is the roster and also as far as like the general vibe. Um, I have no idea. We're not in the clubhouse. We're yeah, not. Yeah. You know, everyone I talk to, every player who you can um, discuss, even players you you know you, you sent text with when Tony Larizzo was hired, who were like. Oh my God, they really do this? Like, I don't know. Even those guys are, you know, they're positive, they're upbeat, they're on board. Every, there's, I can't say anything that casts any dirt on all the positivity. Um, but it's, as, 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 some, as someone in the media, it's just comments to the media and that those tend to be rosy until things get difficult. And spring training is not when things get difficult. Uh, you know, I, I would compare it to um, Tim Anderson having a great rapport with uh, Tony La Russa. Um, that's good. That's great. That needed to happen. He's a big part of the team. He's a leader on the team. It's very smart that Larusa had a conversation with him before spring training started, and they are on great terms now. But like, getting along with twenty twenty one Tim Anderson is like, I feel like it's a lot easier for a manager to say like, "Hey, the kind of loud, uh, brash, and confident guy who's my starting shortstop and hits three thirty, yeah, I'm gonna let him do what he needs to do." This is a tougher conversation in 2017 where it's like this guy is really going through a lot of his own personal stuff. Um, he's struggling a lot to play right mm-hmm. now. He's, he's really not pulling his weight on the field, but we believe in him larger as an organization and we kind of have to guide him through this. That was like 
what Tony Russo is dealing with in managing this guy is never going to be as challenging as what Rick Renneria was dealing with in managing that guy in 2017, just because that was just a way more tenuous point yeah. of his career. Tim Anderson's at a point in his career now where it's really just like, you know, write his name in and you're done managing him. Um, so he's definitely doing what he's doing right. And he's, they're definitely doing what they're doing right as far as a win now clubhouse of kind of staying out of their way. Um, but it's clearly, it's a lot more low maintenance uh, than it would be, um, you know, when this is rebuilding. And that's kind of the reason you bring in, uh, you know, someone like Tony Russo, who's viewed to being like this kind of master tactician is that as far as like the hands-on clubhouse vibe player development focus that you had, under Renneria, that's mm. not really what the job is anymore. And at the same time, why I think it's, you know, I, I, why everyone said that, you know, Rick Renneria has kind of gotten a unfortunate rep is that, you know, he's built up this reputation so much as being that hands-on player development dude that like no one was ever really um, convinced that he could make the transition to being like the playoff manager that he never really got an opportunity to do. Um, I will say that like, what his initial envoy into that, you know, September in the playoffs obviously wasn't positive. And that's, mm. you know, yeah. given that he already had the rep, he had to nail that, you know, audition and they didn't, but yeah, I, I think the job is just so much different now and having a positive clubhouse vibe in spring training with a team where, you know, there, there's a lot of talent and everyone kind of, you know, the, the mission is very clearly a group one, as opposed to, you know, in 2018, the team is due to, lose a hundred games uh, and you know, you're a quad a guy who's just going to get an opportunity to try to get a foothold in the majors. It's probably a lot harder to get that group mm-hmm. <laughs> organized yeah. around some yeah. collective vision yeah. uh, when really like what you're trying to get out of that season is 500 at pass yeah. uh, yeah. more than, you know, you know finish fourth and not fifth in the AL central. Yeah, no, it was a, it was a great piece uh, that you wrote uh, in the athletic recently on, on Anderson and, and you, you touched on it and his confidence and his credit to La Russa and wanted to make sure everybody knew we're on good terms. He's a great guy. Um, you're switching to pitching. Another guy that I feel like has emerged and we've seen his confidence and some of the things that he has said um, just about the intensity that this team needed to have. And now I think has is Giolito and just to see him reemerge. Um, I mean, where can he go? Is sky the limit? I mean, do you see him in, you know, going for the, is the Cy Young is something that's really important to him. Um, and is that possible this year? Um, I think it is important to him, but he's not going to say it because mm. that's not the way he like, it's not the way he like sets his goals. Um, mm. And, you know, I talked to family members about this. And I don't feel like it's just pure sports cliche, but it's like very much like if he's going to take a long view goal, it's going to be broader than a single Cy Young. And if he's going to talk about what his immediate goal is, it's going to be way more narrow than like, uh, you know, a Cy Young. So he's never going to come out and say, I want to win the 2021 Cy Young. He just wants to get to like this, I mean, the, the phrase he said is like best in the world, which I think in terms of like, you know, his physical frame for pitching, you know, the, the life on his fastball, the potential for his stuff. Cause like, you know, I, I don't want to overstate it and say like, you know, he's really shown that he can, 
you know, spin a consistent like plus breaking ball in the majors yet. He's done a lot of work just having an incredible changeup and a, a great four seamer. Um, but I, I think like the stuff ceiling is there as far as like a Cy Young. Um, he's never going to be, I feel, and, you know, maybe he will take these words and, uh, you know, put them on his wall and, and <laughs> shove them in my face. But we tend not to really have that kind of hostile relationship. Um, <laughs> Is that you know, I don't I don't think the command is ever going to be a point where it's like extremely easy for him, or he's going to reach that kind of like Kershaw status where he's clearly mm-hmm. like the best pitcher year in year out, like three, four, five years in a row. But I I think his peak can definitely be at that level where you know he definitely has that year. I don't think uh you know the Zips projection system is just you know coming out of nowhere saying that he's the best pitcher in baseball. It's an elite strikeout rate. So if he has any year where like it comes particularly in sync for a prolonged stretch. Um, yeah, I, I think that's possible. Um, I definitely think he can, it seems like he's demonstrated the ability to, mm-hmm. to uh, I guess he hasn't fully like demonstrated the ability to stay healthy for a full season, but I think if that comes, yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I think it's in his grasp, but I think his, I, I think it's a career where he, you know, is in the mix to, you know, to get votes consistently over like the next, you know, five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to be really conservative and stuff and, you know, <laughs> could win it once or twice. Yeah. And, you know, could maybe be an all-star every one of those years. But as far as beyond that, I, I, I don't think, I, I don't see him reaching necessarily the, the Scherzer or Kershaw mm-hmm. plateau of his absolute peak um, and just because of the control. But, yeah, I, I think he's really good. So, so James, <laughs> sticking on Giolito, I mean, a lot of clamoration right now. And I don't even know if that's a word, but clamoration, <laughs> I'll use it, uh, for, for Gio to get an extension. You know, Sox fans want him to get extended now. Let's get this done. Let's not worry about it later. So if he if you're in your mind, he's not going to reach a Max Scherzer type of talent or level, what do you see in terms of a, of a contract for him going forward, whether it's with this team or not? Uh, I mean, at this point, I think he's going to make free agency, <laughs> mm. like, mm-hmm. you know, down the road. Um, but so I guess it'd be like what it looks like, um, when he's what he's 26 now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he'd be 20, wait, he, I think his birthday is in July. So he's like 29 when he, you know, hits free agency, assuming health, assuming productivity, which is, you know, just assuming like all your hopes and dreams and candies and rainbows uh, become real. Um, (laughs) I would say with the inflation that he probably hits, like, you know, the it's, it's not going to be as worth as much in that, in those in 2024 as it would be then. But I would think like, you know, what Scherzer or David price, you know, wound up getting, at their time, like that could be what he winds up with when he hits it, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, inflation would make it less, but uh, that's what I would imagine. But, you know, I'm not a a contract expert or I'm not doing much more than, you know, pulling that uh, (laughs) from somewhere uh, (laughs) dark and uh, unresearched. Mm -hmm. I I just kind of think at this point, this spring has obviously brought more conversations about it. Um, but it hasn't really brought close to uh, a deal and, you know, it hasn't gotten to the point where like offers were exchanged. Um, I think with Giolito, 
both with his knowledge of the market and sort of the power behind him with his camp, I think the time to really, if the White Sox, if the White Sox are going to be super aggressive about it, um, and I know that they were already projecting him to be uh, an extension candidate, like once he had that good season, like he was on their list of, of mm-hmm. guys um, that they start having, you know, initial envoys about. I, I think the time to strike with him was like as early as possible. And the closer we get to free agency, um, it just seems like the less likely that he would do it in my mind. I know that like maybe they reached some sort of deal, um, you know, next off season where like they kind of settle the price of his last two arbitration years uh, ahead of time. Like one of those deals, like something like a Walker Bueller signed. But I, I think it gets harder to pry away one of his free agency years the longer this progresses. And it seems like it's, it, yeah. I haven't heard anything recently that makes me think like there's going to be a sudden about face that's going to happen this mm-hmm. spring. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to get you out on this one, so, James. Um, confirm and- that he's going to like extend an extension, like, <laughs> minutes after I hang up. <laughs> right. We'll re we'll re-record, no problem. Um we'll we'll get you out on this. Uh you know, is there is there a player in your mind um that Sox fans just are not, you know, they're not talking enough about um that we should be paying a little bit more attention to the the value for 2021. Uh you know, I guess for this I am uh just for reference, I'm calling up the White Sox roster to try to jog my memory. <laughs> yeah. Like, I guess the easy answer to that is like a reliever. Like, yeah. Cody Hoyer is really sure. good, but mm-hmm. I also wouldn't accuse White Sox fans of being ignorant of uh, of Cody Hoyer's existence. Um, mm-hmm. Aaron Bummer, I think, like was absolutely an elite reliever in 2019, mm-hmm. um, and I I feel the need to. Um, mentioned him just because uh, before I came on here, I had a dream uh, that he had Tommy John surgery that I realized oh, when I woke up no. wasn't real. And I was like really uh. thankful for no other reason because Aaron's a nice guy and because I didn't have to do any work. And uh, <laughs> But I just wanted to give that look into a uh, a mind of a beat writer is that, yes, you yeah. have dreams about White Sox players all the time <laughs> and then wake up with a start. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, w- I would say that. I'm. I think maybe because they wanted to this White Sox, they deservedly wanted the White Sox to just do more or um, spend more. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. That and the angst about him only having one year of control. That maybe it's uh, it's harder to gain an appreciation of Lance Lynn until yeah. he really starts just like piling up innings in a, a major league season. Yeah, because. Um, I don't know. He's had some moments in the spring where he looks really solid, but like he just doesn't take on that shiny new toy uh, type of a thing mm-hmm. to watch the way like watching Michael Kopech or Grouchet is. But I think he could be uh, someone you really appreciate once you like the consistency starts to set in uh, over the course of the season and like the productivity is really solid. Um, I, I just feel like every time I like bank a guy in, that like now I've, I've cursed him. He's going to do something else. And people are going to be messaging me in June when like Lynn has a five ERA. It's like, yeah, a lot of consistency, James. Thanks. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, there's just, yeah, I, I found the same, I think nationally, I feel like guys like Hoyer and Bummer just don't get that attention. And it's, it is the Ferraris like Crochet and, and Kopech. So, uh, we, we talk Pat and I quite a bit and, you know, talking with other Sox fans and you just, it's the, they're so stacked pitching wise and it's not just the starters, but like you had mentioned, 
uh, you know, the addition of Lynn and in, in the spring that Cease and Rodon have been having, uh, but it's the bullpen and it's Hendricks and 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 and, and everything else, Marshall and, and Foster that lead up to what I feel like is is going to put them over the edge from last year. Yeah, I think it's um, it's hard to watch Marshall. Like bullpens are obviously volatile. Um, you just uh, you know had your closer kind of. Uh, Dr. Pepper himself out of a week of action. So that mm-hmm. definitely uh, provides some anxiety. Um, but yeah, it's it definitely the top of it seems very strong. Um, what Crochet has done, and this is a nerdy way to like appreciate him, the way he's like commanding his slider for strikes now, especially given what he was last year, which is just pretty much at, come and blow the doors off and, you know, who really knows where it's going. Um, it is really impressive development uh, that, you know, provides a lot of optimism for what he could be. Um, even if it seems like he's kind of guiding his pitches in as terms of uh, velocity and command right now. Um, if you can guide in at like 95, 96, like that's, that's cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I, there's definitely like, and we'll see how like it goes in the start, but like it, you really couldn't ask those guys to really throw much better than they have in the spring to really back up the notion of what they are. Um, and as, I, I would say that's probably bigger to how deep they can go now than the upgrade of column A to Hendricks. Cause obviously column A, like he could make you nervous and it's like just cut, tons of cutters and ground balls and seemingly like the highest percentage of rockets straight to outfielders over a two year span that I've ever seen, but he got outs. Um, what's really impressive is that, you know, I can remember in 2019 where it's just like, well, if Marshall and Bummer both like mm-hmm. get four or five outs, they can get it to column mm-hmm. A, and it's like constantly watching these two guys stretch to mm-hmm. get like any lead yeah. they have. Uh, and now, like they can be so much more uh, flexible with what they do. Yeah. So, I, yeah. I think it's the way that the bullpen kind of goes one through seven is more important than like the top one, even though they literally signed the best closer in baseball. Yeah. Um, James, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, the expectations are great for this team and we really appreciate your insight uh, and everything you do for the athletic. And we hope to check back with you during the season, if that's all right. Sure. Uh, maybe I can get to the other like four or five questions you have next time instead of answering <laughs> three questions in 25 minutes, the way I handle it this time. James, uh, uh, thanks for coming on and look forward to continuing to read your stuff. Sounds sounds like a deal to me. All right. (laughs) Thanks, James. Want to thank Scott Merkin from MLB.com and James Fegan from The Athletic. Uh, What a great way to get ready for opening day just around the corner. Thank you so much for tuning in to Good Guys Talk Back. Uh, You can find us everywhere you find podcasts. Subscribe, pass it along. Find us on the ShyCitySports.com website. We have T-shirts as well. Uh, check those out. Uh, find us on Twitter at Good Guys TV and find us on Facebook. Uh, for Pat Hester, I am Nick Morowski. Until next time, go Sox.